All right, back on the conversation. Uh, we've got a, a guest for you guys to talk about uh, something that's very uh, controversial online right now. It is reporting about something called the Riot Squad. Uh, so Rob Mackey's gonna join us. He's a senior writer at The Intercept. He uh, used to uh, be the writer at the New York Times for the their breaking news blog, uh, The Lead, uh, etc. And Rob has written about the Riot Squad and that has led to some controversy. So Rob, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, and tell us, first of all, what the hell is the Riot Squad? Uh, well, this is basically a sort of informal group of uh, young field reporters for conservative news sites and YouTube channels. Uh, and they have traveled the country over the past year, uh, basically since George Floyd's death, reporting uh, on the protest movement, um, which is obviously a good thing to do, that people should report on it. Uh, but what I found looking into, I came across this group uh, uh, basically by trying to figure out where a lot of viral videos from protests came from. And a lot of the most viral videos were of violent events sort of on the fringes, uh, very often not really connected to protests, but things that were uh, videotaped in front of uh, journalists and went totally crazy on social media. They were seen tens of millions of times. And then what's happened is that a lot of times that sort of dominates the coverage, especially on Fox News. Uh, so this is a group of Seven or eight, it's you know loose uh, a group of friends and rivals from conservative sites who've been documenting the protests, but with a, an incredibly uh, disproportionate, I would say, focus on images of violence, of windows being broken, of people uh, getting in fights at the protests. And in my research, I discovered that uh, a really good uh, track uh, tracker of the uh, protests last year showed that there were about 10,300 Black Lives Matter associated protests. And there was only violence at about 6% of them, only violence of any kind. And what I think we can say when we look at the conservative media is that if you watch that, if you watch Fox News and you see all these clips played over and over and over, you would think that the other 94% of entirely peaceful protests didn't happen. And so that's why I think it's important to look at this work and try to understand how influential it's been to forming people's opinions. So look, I'm not at all surprised by the right wing media. Look at angry black people, they're all violent. And is that what they're driving towards? Yes, absolutely, positively, no question about it. They never give you the context of but 94% are of these protests were perfectly peaceful. By the way, in that 6%, a lot of the violence was started by police originally. But so I know they're not gonna give that context. What I'm surprised by is anyone Attacking you guys for covering the story. So um, now, I'm also surprised you call them journalists. So, so that's a, an interesting conversation because in the old days they did have journalists, William Sapphire, David Frum, etc. Now I hated those guys too. Don't get me wrong. David Frum started a, the war and helped to start the war in Iraq and has um, a lot of issues, right? But they in the old days they wouldn't just lie. Right, they would frame things in a deceptive way, but they would be technically correct, etc. Right, usually, most of the time. Um, in, in the new days, I would never trust someone that called himself a right-wing journalist. I, I would have to have overwhelming evidence before I trust them because almost everything we've ever covered was deceptively edited videos. Um, if someone from the right wing gave me a video and said, "Here, here's the video," I say, "There's no way that video is true." I would have to have forensic evidence to believe that video. Why? Because I hate the right wing? No, but because I've seen in dozens of cases that they doctor the videos. They do it as a matter of course. Fox News has no journalistic standards. They'll put doctored videos on air without blinking twice. 
or thinking twice or blinking, <laughs> either way. Um, so do you think they're actually journalists? Yeah, I mean, that was something when I set out to look at this, the first pieces I was looking at, uh, there's a, a, a guy named Elijah Schaefer, who uh, is a sort of pundit and reporter for Glenn Beck's uh, uh, Blaze TV. He at a protest in Dallas last year, uh, it was just very obviously deceptively edited some footage. He put out a clip that was seen 35 million times on Twitter alone uh, of uh, a guy who was at a protest, a white guy getting beaten up pretty brutally by protesters. It went everywhere. Trump mentioned it, boosted it on Twitter, brought it up as tear gas was being fired at protesters outside the White House to sort of smear the whole movement. And what came to light from other witnesses who were there is that this guy who was seen at the end of the event being beaten up had confronted the protesters. He later admitted himself that he started the confrontation by going to a bunch of marchers marching through his neighborhood with a machete. And then when they picked up some rocks and tried to like fend him off, he backed up a bit, charged at them shrieking and cut one of them. And then that's what you see at the end is they beat the hell out of him. They did, it was a brutal beating, absolutely, that's true, no one supports that. But that's absolutely true that a, a huge problem here is deceptive editing and people receiving these little clips, these little glimpses of information on their phones very often with no other context. And with no way of checking to see what, what happened first. So I did document a few cases like that that are really totally egregious. I think that's you know important to, to understand that that's part of what goes on. But I would say you know, on the question of whether, and I think left-wing protesters often view these people as you know, political activists. They don't see them as journalists. My feeling is that if you go in the field and you film something and you report on it, it's a kind of reporting and journalism. I would hope that it's ethical and sometimes it's not like that. But there are other people who do actually report accurately. They take video accurately of things they see that are sort of outrageous that happen in front of them. But the question then is how is that processed on social media and in the right wing media, especially on Fox News. Almost all of these people are regularly appearing on Fox News to talk about their clips. And but you know, they'll do something like in a protest in Philadelphia in October when Walter Wallace Jr. was killed by the police. The video of him being shot on camera sparked protests in West Philly where he was from. The next day, a lot of these people, five of these journalists for conservative sites showed up to film protests. I think they were expecting something bad to happen. There were peaceful protests, which isn't really very good for them. They went to a police station with people who screamed at the police. But there was nothing going viral basically because there was no violence. There was nothing getting out of hand. Then there became there was a report that way across town, a 30 minute drive away, 10 miles away in a retail park that had no nothing to do with this neighborhood, nothing to do with protests, there was some looting. So they got in the car and they drove over and filmed the looting. And the looting was the main story on Fox News basically over and over on a loop for two days. And also at that protest, the guy I mentioned, Elijah Schaefer, who had misleadingly edited footage in Dallas, he went into a discount store that was being looted with his camera, was filming, was told by the looters to stop filming. I guess he didn't get away entirely at first or quickly enough, and they punched him in the mouth. And then he was a featured guest on Tucker Carlson two days later, the video of him being punched in the mouth went viral. And you would have no idea that anything happened in Philadelphia if you watch a conservative media, except these people attacking this 
right wing journalist. And he went on the air and went on Tucker Carlson and on Blaze TV and said that he was attacked by what he called Black Lives Matter protesters. There was no protest in that part of Philadelphia. It's a totally different place. It's practically New Jersey. And these were looters who were taking advantage of sort of a, an opportunity where the police were overwhelmed. So the, this is an example where you have people going to a protest, they film what happens, it doesn't take off for them. Then they film a totally unrelated event because that fits the narrative. Yeah. And so I would say that you know it's a kind, it's a thing where you have to look at a kind of broader picture than just deceptive editing. You know, it's it's selective what they film and what they say about it. And by saying that they were protesters, that's a flat out lie. Yeah, that's the least surprising thing I've ever heard. And by the way, if a, a black person had attacked white people with a machete, um, how do you think they would have covered that instead? Uh, do you think they would have left that part out? If a bunch of white people were uh, brutally beating a black man, uh, but uh, the right wing knew that the black man had attacked them with a machete earlier, do you think they would have left that part out? Right. So it's just absurd. It's absurd. They're not journalists. Uh, and so I, I can't say it about all of them, but the instances where you have the selective editing, which is, in my experience, the ones that we, that have made it to enough of a controversy, almost every one of them was selectively edited. And so, and so, people attacked you guys though for talking about this phenomenon. Well, it would appear at the bare minimum that you were doing journalism in covering this phenomenon. So what on God's green earth did they have to complain about? What are they just supposed to butcher these videos and you're not allowed to talk about it? What's the claim? I, yeah, the one of one part of the claim is that on Fox News on Laura Ingram's show, there was the idea it was it was claimed that we were intentionally trying to expose the identities of these journalists so that they couldn't report it would get beat up by Antifa. And in fact, these are public figures. They've all been on Fox News. They're all regularly, the person that we were specifically talking about in that case had just been on Laura Ingram. So they're familiar faces if you watch the right wing media. And you know, left wing protesters are not idiots. They're watching live streams. They're watching the right wing media. They have been talking about trying to interfere with these people getting footage of their protests. For almost an entire year, and only recently it has happened that a couple of them were beaten up at left-wing protests. One in Detroit in April, another one a week later in LA in April. People were spotted, they become familiar faces to people on the left, and they're told they're not welcome there, and they were assaulted. And in our article, the article that accompanies the video, we talk about this, we report this as a phenomenon. And we denounce the violence against anybody. And I would say, Jenk, one thing is that from my background of, I started as a fact checker, I worked in a video news agency. I do think it's true that anybody of any political background, if they witness something that's newsworthy, can actually record something that then we can use as evidence and try to understand things. So I would say that in that way, what they do is certainly journalistic. But it's important, I think it's important, and that was sort of the point of the piece, for people to realize when they see something that's viral, where they see video from one of these videographers, that they understand that it's in a context where you might not be getting the whole story. And that that's an important thing to think about. Yeah, look, we, we're out of time, but I gotta give you my perspective on it real quick. Number one, I'm not an elitist. I think that if somebody's 
videotape something, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. And yes, that is an act of journalism, no question, right? Um, that's not my issue with them at all. My issue with them is that they're perpetual liars. And if I thought I could trust their videos, then I would actually, and then I would air them and I would actually talk about them. And is it right that they're attacked? Of course not. And the looters in Philly shouldn't have punched that guy in the face for taping them. He's taping a crime, that's perfectly fine. It's wrong to call them protesters or connect them to Black Lives Matter when they're not. That's when you lose any kind of journalistic credibility. But just taping a looting, there's nothing wrong with that at all. And and of course he shouldn't have been assaulted, nobody should be assaulted. These things are obvious. But when the right wing then turns around, and that includes some people who claim they're not in the right wing, but are on Fox News constantly defending and supporting the right wing. When they turn around and say, no, you're not allowed to cover journalists. Wait, when did that become a rule? We talk about the corporate media all the time. We don't go, oh, don't show George Scarborough. I mean, people might get angry at him. Uh, other people that used to work at the Intercept and then that are now right wingers and aren't Fox News 24/7 cover the corporate media and, and would talk about the reporting of specific journalists all the time. Now all of a sudden you can't talk about people that you're calling journalists when they're doctoring videos. That's absurd. Nobody thinks that's rational unless you've lost your mind and become some weirdo right winger trying to get attention by going on Fox News. That's my opinion. Okay, uh, Rob Mackey, thank you for doing actual journalism. We appreciate it. Everybody check out the stories and it gives you important context for what you see online. Because if you're getting it from the right wing, most, in my opinion, most of the time, it is not what it appears. All right, uh, thank you, Rob. Thank you. Back on the conversation, we got an amazing race in North Carolina for the Senate seat. That's coming up in 2022. Richard Burr is retiring. On the right wing side, you have former governor Pat McCrory, who normally would at least win the Republican nomination, but he's in trouble because he did not agree with every single sentence that Donald Trump spoke. I'm not kidding. So they're saying, well, he was not. 100% loyal to Donald Trump. He dared to disagree with the dear leader, so he might not win. Lara Trump might join the race and she might win the nomination. We'll find out about that. But on the Democratic side, there's also drama. And the person who nearly, well, certainly was in a position to win last time is back in it this time. And that's who we're gonna talk to. Erica Smith joins us now. She's a educator, a minister, and a former state senator. Erica, welcome to TYT. Thank you, it's so good to be back, Jink. Great to have you. So Erica, last time you ran in 2020 and the establishment did not support you. Now you're a state senator, there's no reason for them not to support you. Well, you're for Medicare for all, Green New Deal. Higher minimum wage, etc. So then maybe there's a reason. But tell tell us how, what the status of the race was, and what happened with Cal Cunningham, who came into the race. 
Absolutely, Jake. So in the last cycle, 2020 cycle, I was the front runner um, running in the U.S. Senate race. I was beating Tom Tillis in every head-to-head poll, beating him by wider margins. And unfortunately, the, the DS interfered and recruited Cal Cunningham from the lieutenant governor's race that he'd been running in for about a year and pulled him, recruited him into the U.S. Senate race. And as we can see, that was a colossal mistake. And it ended up costing us the state of North Carolina. We could have certainly flipped blue. We had a wonderful opportunity to do it, um, but that did not happen. I'm so sick of the Democratic uh, Senate committees coming in and thinking, "Oh, we got it. We we know Amy McGrath, Cal Cunningham, the usual suspects, right? Uh, wealthy white person, hopefully with a business." and or military background. I've seen this movie a thousand times and they all lose, they all lose and it never changes their strategy. So uh, how much did, you were beating Tom Dillis, how much did Cal Cunningham lose by? Uh, He lost by about four percentage points. Yeah, in other words, it was winnable, it was definitely winnable. And now it's winnable again against Richard Burr. So now you're running again, so. I'm sure the establishment has someone else in mind. Uh, I mean, Erica, wouldn't it make sense that, hey, there was polling showing that you were gonna win last time. You're a state senator, now we got him. Now let's do this, let's correct our mistake. Uh, But um, I'm gonna guess that the establishment in the Democratic Party is not yet supporting. Well, Gene, let's just face it. I have never been an establishment candidate. I'm the constituents candidate. When I ran for state senate in 2014, I unseated the longest sitting Democrat who was pushing payday lenders, payday loans in the communities that he was serving. Um, That was a high minority population, um, a high marginalized community. And so it's no secret that I've angered some in the establishment along the way because I've been willing to stand up um, even to Democratic Party leadership to push the bold progressive initiatives that the people in this state and in this country really, really want. And so um, we have, uh, we're cautiously optimistic. Um, We have spoken to the DSCC. Um, Certainly Senator Chuck Schumer stated that he regretted interfering and recruiting Cal Cunningham in the last cycle. Um, The DS as a rule has said that they are not going to interfere into the primary elections. Um, You called it, we saw what happened in Kentucky with Charles Booker. And I'm so glad to see him running again, Hood to holler, but we we have to really not um, continue to run this old playbook and this antiquated notion of electability. There's a new face of electability in the South. That's absolutely right, Uh, like Reverend Warnock. Um, And yeah, and by the way, Stacey Abrams, because she actually won that race in Georgia. Um, And so, so Erica, let let me uh, go further in, in this. So the establishment usually will say, and my guess is the press will say, uh, yes, but uh, if you run on Medicare for all in a state like North Carolina, you you can't win. They would just blanket say that, right? Uh, As if they have polling to prove that, et cetera. They don't have the polling, I know that. Uh, But how do you respond to a charge like that? 
<clears throat> this is how I respond to that, Jink. Um, we are trying to do the impossible in North Carolina, and we know that we that we can get it done. This past year, if nothing else, should have shown us with this COVID-19 pandemic just how broken our health care system is, uh, a system that prioritizes profits over people, uh, a system where we had 560,000 Americans die from COVID and a third of them died because they did not have health insurance. If we can't talk about Medicare for all coming through a worldwide pandemic, then when can we talk about it? We know that these are bold. Uh, this is a bold platform, but we know that we have big problems, big challenges. Working families are facing all over this state. There is overwhelming support for Medicare for all. And so that's what we're fighting for. Um, we are fighting for those bold solutions that we know the people on the sidelines have been waiting for. They've been waiting for someone who's going to fight for the Green New Deal, who's going to fight for UBI, who's going to fight for workers, their right to unionize, but also to have a livable wage. Uh, this is the time when I give the website, ericaforus.com. Uh, so Erica does not take corporate PAC money. Uh, so we will put these links down below if you want to click on them, if you're watching this on YouTube or Facebook. But uh, ericaforus.com, uh, she's bold, she's strong. You just heard it right there. Uh, almost all the politicians have uh, tucked tail and run for Medicare for all, uh, and you're still running on it uh, in, in the state of North Carolina, yeah. and that is very strong. Uh, so, and Jake, especially what I wanted to share is that I've had a personal experience. My family, we almost went bankrupt um, because I gave birth to a medically fragile son. He need, he had a tracheostomy. I came home. My employer-based insurance gave me four hours of nursing care, did not pay for all of the medical equipment that he needed. No other family under my watch is going to have to face bankruptcy because someone gets sick or not be able to afford the life-saving health care that their family members need. I had to get a part-time job at an alternative school just to be able to pay for the humidifiers, the nosies that went over Elias's tracheostomy. And so health care for me, it's a right. It's a basic human right. And with the lived experiences of so many North Carolinians who have this same struggle, this is why I fight so hard. We must have Medicare for all. So um, look, there's two, two elements to that. Number one, when you fight that hard for a position that is very popular in the country, but not yet popular in the Democratic Party leadership, then I believe you when you say you're gonna fight for filibuster reform. <laughs> because everybody, all the Democrats say that, but then they get into Congress and they don't do anything about it, right? And so, but number two, on the issue of the healthcare as a right, look, if you took that message to the people of North Carolina, You'd be Larry Trump or McCory or anyone else, and uh, and metaphorically, you'd beat him with a stick. Um, so then I got to ask you about the press, because usually the number one problem isn't the message; it's the press. So, but I don't know in your specific instance. So, uh, both the last time around and this time around, have have they given you a fair hearing? Have they talked about the upsides and downsides of your policy, or has it been characterized as? You know, here's Cal Cunningham has the money, so he's the real candidate, et cetera, et cetera. It's usually what they do, but I don't know what happened in North Carolina. 
Well, I can't say last cycle. The press had a hard time trying to figure out what the policies and platform was um, for the other Democratic candidates. And so um, just as last time as this time, I am the only candidate who is a progressive. I am the only one who has shared a comprehensive plan to address the issues and, and, and solve the problems faced by so many North Carolinians. And the press this time around has certainly highlighted our progressive agenda. And I, you know, have had several conversations and I told them, you can call it what you want. It's a survivor's agenda. And and we deserve to thrive now. Um, There have been so many people who have just learned just how broken our economic systems are coming out of this pandemic. And so I'm happy to fight for it. The press has been covering it. And um, this time around, they have been sharing that we do have a progressive platform, but they've also shared that I'm the only candidate who has a platform and voters will know where we stand on the issues. Well, that's actually really positive. I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that. Okay, that's great news. And the press has been getting better on progressive candidates because before just Democrats, they thought they just flat out assumed no progressive would ever win. And now after stunning after upset after stunning upset, they're beginning to think maybe it's not stunning. Uh, <laughs> maybe they should uh, you know, uh, give you guys way more credibility that you deserve. Last quick question here, Erica. Uh, sometimes the press also frames it as African American community is more mainstream and, and is not in favor of uh, progressives. Uh, what's your experience with that? That's not been my experience at all. Um, over the issues that, that we agree on, everybody agrees that workers deserve a livable wage. At the floor, it should be $15 an hour. Everyone believes in a Marijuana Justice Act. And the communities that I talk to, whether black, white, or brown, know that systemically black and brown have been disenfranchised um, through this war on crimes. And so many black and brown bodies have been locked up um, for a nonviolent crime. The communities that I talk to, to um, want to be able to be paid uh, equal pay for equal work. As a black woman who is a former engineer, I did not make what my white male counterparts made just based on my anatomical, you know, anatomical makeup. And that certainly shouldn't be so. So um, now I have found that the communities that I go into, they are more open and more receptive to the platform and and the solutions that we're seeking to solve. They understand what has happened with systemic discrimination. And now more than ever before, we know that we need to have changes in our policing Um, and understanding in North Carolina, what is going on with the Andrew Brown case. We need more transparency in government. And so when we understand the link between the, the climate crisis the, is, a, is, a, is related to the racial justice crisis, is related to the economic crisis, when you put all of those factors together and you look at the plan that is going to finally address those historic inequities, um, you find that they don't care that it's identified as a progressive platform. They are open open to any candidate whose lived experiences, whose passion and whose commitment to make this country work for all of us who make this country work instead of just for the wealthy and the well-connected. That is resonating with the voters that we talk to. All right, Erica Smith running for US Senate in North Carolina. The website's ericaforus.com and she's just lived up to it as you saw in the interview. And Erica, it would be a dream to have it be you versus Larry Trump. Uh, I will I will come to North Carolina uh, if that's what's happening. 
to help out. All right, thank you so much. Really appreciate it, Erica. Thank you, good to be with you.